Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. No, real quick. I bored no, dude, don't threaten me when we're talking about this stuff. I will fuck you up, Ashton. Don't say no, no, one more thing about that. No, just shut you, your mouth right now, Ashton. I'm warning you. That's your. This is your last warning. Don't talk no about me, dude. No, seriously. Oh, okay. Chaz Smith, welcome back to the grid. August 9th, 2014. I miss you when we're away. It's, it's rough, dude. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, I think of all these things I want to talk to you about, and then you're not there. And who, who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to talk surf stuff with, David Lee? I don't know. I'm available FaceTime if you're ever so inclined. Well, but the real the real problem is, since we're not friends, we're only... Uh, I mean, that's... that's we're that's, co-hosts. Uh, we're co-hosts, yeah. yeah. But so the, it's not that we're not friends, but I just feel like I don't want to burn a topic. I agree. Uh, and so, yeah, I need I just bottle it all up until I get to see you. Do you actually remember it once we get together, though? Um, I remember the things that I thought that day. Yeah. The morning, the morning we're going to meet. I'll remember those things. I'll remember half of those things, but everything that I thought the entire other time, no. I don't want to tell you how to podcast or anything, but you can make notes throughout the course of the week. I should, you and should. I should. Yeah, I guess sort of beach grit is my notepad a little That's bit, true. so at least I have a record of the things I was at least mulling over. Then it's incumbent upon me to visit beach grit and make notes from beach grit on what your notes are. And then revisit them with you. That is a real complex. I'm, I'm putting a lot of work on you right there. You I'm putting are, a lot of work sure. on you and our friendship. Um, what's the finish on this top? It's this, zinc, zinc. Zinc. That's yeah. right. So we're back around the zinc. Back on the zinc table. That top. should be. That should actually be. Um, should rebrand the show. Around the zinc. Around the zinc. That's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> like between two ferns. Yeah. Um, Speaking of between two two ferns, do you ever watch baskets? I do. How epic is Baskets? It's so good. I've kind of... Are they on season three now? I don't know. I'll only ever watch it on the plane, okay. on the airplane. Yeah. But I'll, anytime I'm on the airplane, I chew through as many episodes it's as so I can. Good. And I just, like, I'm in the aisle rolling around laughing so hard. I watched all of season one when it was airing, like, mm-hmm. waiting every week for it to air. And then um, season two, I kind of started to drop off a little bit. And I haven't kept up since. Yeah. But I did absolutely love it. There's just so much good content now that I can't keep up it's with it. It's hard. Anymore. It's yeah. difficult. But, but I feel that... Comedy, I mean, probably everything you could say is in a golden era right now. But comedy, I feel, is at a, I mean, between Secession and, there's so many, do you watch Secession? You turned me on to it when we were in Florida. Yeah. And I think there were only two episodes available at that time. I watched both of them on that trip. And I've watched um, all but the last episode, I think. One behind right now. But you're you're not a huge, you're not feeling it. 
I loved it at first, yeah. and now I'm having a harder time staying committed to it. Okay. What about you? I mean, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. You I, still do? Oh, yeah. I got to the, like, finished the last episode and stood up and applauded. It was, really? Yeah. Okay. I really, but I like the whole series, so. So is the season over then? It is. This season is, yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I'll done. catch up with it's it. It's a wrap. Yeah. Um, let's see. What do we got? We got a ton to get into. I was telling you, I, first of all, we've done, like, one episode a month for the I last know. two months. I know. Florida it's, was one month, and then the one episode since then. So. I think I'm. I think I'm back. I'm. About, I'm off the road, except for a swing through the Pacific Northwest for a book tour. You. Um. What was this week? You had to go up to Santa Cruz. Yeah, I was. I had a reading in Santa Cruz uh, a couple nights ago, which was great. How was it? Yeah, it was great. Okay, was, cool. I mean, that's the thing. These book readings, you know, I. I mean, I wouldn't wish anyone coming out and and listening to me read the book it's a it's an awful torture <laughs> i would imagine but i i totally love getting to you know see people and talk to people and and shake hands so yeah yeah i Good. thoroughly enjoy it was well attended it's well attended yeah so you just drove up for the one day and then drove back yep it's intense man well oh, i gotta sell books man yeah you do this is yeah we live in the internet age selling books is like hard work it's a just like all the other entertainment out there can't expect expect I think people to pay attention unless you're going to be out there really flogging it. Live performances are the only way to get paid nowadays, really. Yeah. So, WSL is taking a cue. Good job, WSL. Out of that book. <laughs> um, also, what were you doing in Copenhagen? Copenhagen was just a pure unadulterated vacation. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, did you bring the kids and everything? We did. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we have good friends who live there, so um, it was a chance to see them and you know just yeah. It's an epic city. Have you ever been there? No. It's honestly the great. I mean, it always, or I think regularly is the top of like happiest cities on earth or best cities on earth. And it truly exceeds all, yeah, all notes. Radical. How long were you there? 10 days. Nice. It was good. Nice. Yep. Um, so you and I have been texting all morning. I just got back from the border getting my century pass to get through. The reason why is I went down to Baja like two weeks ago. And got trapped. Dude, six How long? Six hours. hours. Yep. I've done a four banger there, but never a six. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I think four is probably my most. How as many well. How many churros did you eat? Zero. But I got these other things. I I had to actually write the name down because I'd never heard of them before. But it was like two pancakes essentially that they make a sandwich out of and put either Nutella or cream in the middle or um, like strawberry jam or Amazing. something. So good. I I really love that that six hours actually broke you. I mean, because going oh and, and doing the work to get the century pass is a it feels always to me very daunting. Like you have to tick a lot of boxes. You have to be, you know, I mean, you have to go down to the border to or to San Diego to get your. Pass, right, right right at the border yeah, the final you, exit totally you yeah. can't you can't just like mail it in no it did totally break me because last year i went and i did like a three hour wait in the line maybe four and that didn't break me no i made a mental note i'm like oh i should get the century pass and then never did it this time the line was only 1.8 miles yep and it took six hours he, here's a secret for yeah. those who don't want to go tick the boxes to get the century pass did you have you done uh, medical tourism down there no Oh my goodness. So you go down and get a tooth cleaned or whatever, and you'll get a medical pass from wherever. I mean, I think you could just go make an appointment to do anything, right? For, sure. well, you know, who knows how much, like just do, do something easy and cheap. Uh, they'll give you a medical pass and there's a special medical lane 
uh, that you'll get through as quick or quicker than the sentry the sentry lane. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So you just get one tooth clean. I mean, whatever. You get all like, your teeth clean. I mean, you can get them all cleaned. You could do something, you know. But like, I'm thinking if you're going down a lot, maybe yeah. you don't. You're going to run out of procedures that you can do in TJ. That's true. So you just got to start figuring stuff out that you know. I mean, that's all you'd want is the medical pass. So my dad is retired and stuff, and um, he has friends who live in their community that they're in who are also retired and like on a fixed income, and they go down to get um, dental work done, all sorts sure. of medical stuff. And so he was kind of explaining it to me. The doctors down there and dentists make just as good of money as they do here in the U.S., except they're just keeping all of it. You know, they're not paying out all the insurance premiums and all that sort of stuff. And they're getting paid immediately, whereas doctors and dentists here have to go through the billing cycle and it might take six months to get paid. So it's such a more efficient system. It's fantastic. I totally recommend it. I was along the ride for a uh, medical procedure down there and... For me, at least, in the waiting room, it was awesome. They had was it? Yeah, giant overstuffed chairs and yeah, a fish tank I could look at. It was a good time for me in the waiting room. He explained like there's a street. I forget what city. I don't think it was in TJ, but like a street of just pure dentists. Yeah, like Rodeo Drive is with like retail stores. It's just dentist after dentist, and that's what they do. It's all tourism. It's smart coming down there. It's crazy. Well, um, Baja. When was the last time you've been? Oh, I was probably in Baja. I was in Cabo more recently than okay. Baja. Yeah. So probably I was probably in Baja last year or last or this past spring. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty rad. I love it. Yeah. It's every time I go, I think, why don't I come here Me too. every day? Well, then you sit in a six hour ride drive on the way back and you're like, that's why. That's why. Yeah. Cause it washed away. That's that border weight washed away all of the joy of the weekend. Did you get, did you get good waves? Or was it no, not a surf trip? Didn't even surf. Okay. We stand up paddled like in the harbor and just had fun doing that. Caught a couple waves. Um, Where'd you go those. down to Ensenada? Or? Just north of Ensenada. Okay. Yeah, just outside of Ensenada. But amazing restaurants. Oh, yeah. Um, like really hip too, you know? Like TJ has a whole foodie scene. Totally. It's crazy. Yep. And we did not do that this trip, but... Um, like one of the places we were in, there's a lot of brew, uh, brew pubs now too, like micro brew places. This particular place was like built out of storage containers. Like we've seen starting to happen in the U S but they're like a couple of them stacked really good food, great beers. A buddy of mine who lives in San Diego has a brewery just across the street from Gaviota's sushi bar, fantastic sushi, abalone, sea snails, like really kind of elevated cuisine amazing venue with like this whole rooftop bar that full dance party on friday night salsa dancing um and then the wine producing region is just 20 minutes inland from there and that's amazing too yeah no i i honestly don't understand i mean the the this toxic environment of like build the wall and all that this is not the time to build the wall because way better stuff is happening in mexico and especially just over the border i think than uh than is happening in the united states so yeah, that, don't don't build the wall. And my buddy who has that restaurant bar, it's like I haven't ever talked business or numbers with him, but I'm under the impression that it's kind of like you can go down there and start something without tons of bureaucracy and tons sure. of years of permitting and all that sort of stuff. And so it's much cheaper, much faster turnaround. You can test an idea, see if it works. If not, do something else. Well, that's the thing. I think it allows for progression. I know totally. there's a lot of like, you know, upcoming San Diego kind of chefs who, you know, yeah. I mean, they're going to have to work forever in this system in order to get their own restaurant here, but they can go to even a pop-up. There's, you know, pop-up restaurants that happen all the time down there. They can, totally. you know, test their wares. They can try something new. They can throw stuff at the wall and see if, see if it sticks. And I think there's the progression 
uh, that's happening in, you know, I haven't tried it in Ensenada yet, but the progression that I've tried in TJ is like fantastic. It's totally, yeah, any listener who's close, who wants a good, good culinary experience, it's completely worth it to go to Tijuana and just find some restaurants. And if, go you, eat. if you wanted to do the chef thing in San Diego, you would need a million bucks. Like oh, if yeah, you wanted to like open a restaurant, you'd need two years and a million bucks yep. to really make it happen. And that's not even guaranteeing any sort of success at no. all. It's just to get going. Totally. I feel like you could take 20 grand down there and really give it a go. And make know? money too, I think. I mean, I, I think, think the, so too. I think the pop-ups yeah. and stuff like that are, to me, that's always really intriguing, right? Where you, it's totally. not this huge investment. It's just, hey, I'm in this space. I'm here for four weeks, you know, come eat, whatever. Completely. Um, I was also, I, I, the reason why I wanted to bring this up was just to encourage tourism, like to encourage listeners to actually revisit Baja there was zero concern of safety yeah, of as course. well for me. And like in, I, I used to go every month for probably the first 20 years of my life. My family had a house down there and then we stopped going the last decade and a half, I'd say. But when I was a kid, there was always a, a, a little bit of fear, not only not from the cartel so much at that time, it was more from like the federales. We're just going to shake you down for money. Yeah. So you weren't concerned about your life, but you knew you were always going to kind of encounter that or potentially encounter that this time or currently, from what I understand, cart- there is still cartel on cartel violence, but the tourists, they felt the effects of tourism going away for a decade. So everybody's basically backed off the tourists. And because there's cartel, cartel violence, you might get in the middle of something like that if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the thing that I did notice most was the federales just waving us through. There was a couple of checkpoints and stuff, and it was like they weren't even looking at yeah. us. You know, They were just like, yeah, go ahead and pass, because... They've learned. It's yeah. The the fantastic thing about Northern Baja too, I think, is you can you can take an honest to goodness vacation. I mean, a have a very clear, distinct cultural experience from your car. Which I mean, you know, from, totally. from San Diego. I mean, I've been door to surf in forty five minutes yep. down there. Um, which is, I mean, you know, like I take that for granted too. Like I don't do it nearly, nearly as no. much as I should. But yeah, maybe I'm gonna have to to get my century pass or just go get my teeth cleaned one at a time <laughs> do the century pass honestly you're close enough for me it was a two-hour drive to get to that office at the border but um the wait it was very organized it was much more organized and more efficiently run than the dmv let's say okay um and so, it was basically an hour i was you, in and out of there in an you hour. you make your appointment what paperwork do you have to bring your passport your birth certificate like i brought my of, birth certificate they didn't even ask for it so proof I, of residence or that's it um passport and driver's license oh that's it that's it and you just make an appointment online. Yeah. Okay. And it's a hundred bucks. And you get global entry at the same time. Yes. It's like it's you, it's like a you similar have to, deal. You it's have an, to ask for it or sign up for both those things. But it's an, I got both at the same time. That is fantastic. Yeah, for a okay. hundred bucks. I'm doing it. Yeah. And the, the, obviously the global entry thing, that's well worth it. That's uh, airports around yeah. the world. Yeah, exactly. And you said your wife has it and you don't? She does and I don't. And so she you, curses me yeah, every time. Every time we get off an international flight and there's the giant line stretching out before me. And see, it does her no good to, I yeah. mean, she can go through, but then she just has to wait till right. I plod, plod through. Yeah. You need to um, stand in solidarity. I'm going to. So, dude... Where should we begin? Should we begin with Dirk Ziff? Oh, we have to begin with Dirk Ziff. I feel we could do an entire show on Dirk Ziff. I think we can too. Um, should I read hit a little bit from his speech the yeah. other night? Yeah, and for, by, I think by way of introduction too, I think this is so fantastic because Dirk Ziff has you know, owned more or less, he and his wife, Natasha, have owned 
the WSL or professional surfing uh, for the last, what, five years? Yeah. And this is really the first time anybody's heard from him, right? This is, totally. So this is his kickoff speech to to introdu- like the introduction to the world right who, here. Who is he, by the way? Do you know? What's his background? He's a billionaire. His dad got his money from Papa. His dad was a publishing magnet, uh, but I don't know what his dad published. Mm-hmm. And then I think Natasha, his wife, is either equally rich or also very rich or comes from a wealthy family. So it's this combined kind of, yeah. Power couple. Power couple. Um, so he was being honored as Waterman of the Year at some SEMA event that they were doing in Laguna. And um, this is the speech that he gave. Are you going to read said, the whole thing? I'm going to read... No. I'll read uh, portions of it. He Great. said, Some of you here in this canyon, journalists and other influential voices who unload on social media... I wonder if some of you get up every day and stir the milk into your coffee, thinking about what you can write that day that might humiliate the WSL. It goes way beyond constructive criticism, which we all need and which the WSL frequently deserves, and into the realm of a foul-spirited attack, which I think we can all agree we all have enough of right now in this country. I have a message to all the haters, and it is simple. Be tough, call us out, be honest, tell us what we need to improve, but don't pretend you, uh, but don't pretend you don't know that when you go beyond constructive criticism and cynically try to rally negative sentiments towards the WSL, when you try to take us down, you are not just going after us. You are going after Kelly Slater. You are trying to take down Lakey Peterson. You are going after the dreams of Caroline Marks and Griffin Colapinto. You are undermining the hopes of every kid who lives with salt in their hair, dreaming of being a world champion one day. And I ask you, why? It seems pretty obvious that the WSL... Um, keeps growing in popularity and surfing takes its rightful place among the other among the great and elite competitive sports everyone connected with our sport and certainly all the members of SEMA will prosper especially or except maybe a few grumpy locals who have to deal with some of the new faces in the lineup so why not work together boom end quote boom Waterman of the year Waterman of the year alongside wife Natasha what's your take Waterman of the year I mean, it was an incredible moment, I think, for me, at least. Uh, I was sent it the night that it happened. Oh, yeah, I must have been sent the speech the night that he delivered it, or probably the next morning. I remember reading it and just thinking, oh, my goodness. And then being so wound up, like, just excited by it. Uh, and I was super jet-lagged, too. Um, it was the first night I was back bad, from Copenhagen. Yeah, bad timing. Yeah, and so I went to sleep uh, and then woke up very early in the morning and typed out my response to Dirk Ziff, just henpecked it out in a haze of not coffee with milk, but black coffee and, yeah, tiredness. And what was your take on it? Well, should I read your take? I've got it in front of me. I mean, you don't have to read. I think people have probably read it. Do you, do you want to read it? I guess you can read it. Unless you want to recap it. I'll, I'll gladly read it. Yeah, read it. Okay, Dirk, uh, dear Dirk. I do wake up in the morning and make coffee, but I take it black with neither cream nor sugar. While sipping, I enjoy reading surf news and mixed in. There are often very funny, odd moves by your World Surf League, too ripe for jokes. And so I joke and I joke and I joke. Laugh and laugh and laugh. I've tried to include you. I've begged for interviews with Graham Stapleberg, Backward Finn Beth, ex-WSL CEO, Mark, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul Speaker, etc., um, though I've been rebuffed at every turn, so dry my tears and so I dry my tears and I laugh alone. 
leaving the charges of foul spirit attack and purposeful humiliation and your dream destruction of Griffin Colapinto aside, there is a fundamental misunderstanding in your remarks that goes to the very heart of the matter. You believe that surfing should take its rightful place next to basketball, baseball, etc., and this will bring riches to all connected with the sport and that the odd grumpy local fearful of crowding the lineup is wrong and antiquated. But surfing is not a sport, or at least not just a sport. It is a way of life embraced by damaged youth wanting to escape a scowl-faced football coach, PE teacher, by fathers who crave 20 minutes alone in the big blue ocean, by mothers who, whose hearts beat to the news of a rising swell, by a, whole, by a whole host of people who, with something slightly broken inside, Southern Californians who wake up too early to pull on a stinky cold wetsuit to paddle into a bacteria-filled water, New Jerseyites who drive 20 hours hoping the faint, holding the faint hope that tides and winds will work, Western Australians who glide over the gaping maws of great white sharks, Brazilians who don't need wetsuits because their water is so bacteria-filled it warms itself warms, Floridians who get trunks and bikinis filled with sea needles, Hawaiians, surfers are looking for uh, prosperity. I'm sorry, surfers are not looking for prosperity. We're looking for I don't know, respite from imperfect lives, an endorphin kick, laughs, sadistic knots, knocks. I genuinely don't know, but I think, uh, but think we surf because it somehow found our slight brokenness, crawled it into, crawled into our prefrontal cortexes and absolutely refuses to let go. We surf because we can't stop. And most impassioned, these few grumpy locals are by far and away your most valuable asset. They may not be watermen of the year, but they have poured more into surfing than money can ever buy. You would do well to ponder what they want besides an ice-cold Michelob Ultra brewed from organic grains. Sincerely, Chess Smith. The end. The end. Man, how was the feedback? I mean, it's been really shockingly positive, I guess. But yeah. it feels like, I mean, that's the thing. It just feels like the WSL, is it, a, is it a genuine precipice right now? And I don't know that the precipice is too, you know, either it's going to survive and be successful or crash and never go away. It just feels like this steadfast, uh, I, th- I feel the, the powers at the WSL, especially since it's become the WSL, I think the ASP was different. I think the ASP was always trying to figure out what the core surfer wanted because that's who they all were, mm-hmm. right? It became the WSL. They've entirely lost focus or even care about the core surfer. They're chasing, you know, and we've talked about on the show before, chasing this pipe dream of the, the theoretical viewer as opposed to the viewer that they have. Yeah. And now they're so disconnected from it that Dirk Ziff can deliver a speech like this and feel that it somehow is an accurate portrayal of what they're doing. And if you flip through to me, the did you look through the photo gallery of those in attendance? No. At the, it's amazing, right? So it's at, I think, Shop Eat Surf or whatever. There's a photo gallery of those attending the Waterman's Ball, right? And there's some great people in there. Of course, there's good friends, there's whatever. There's all kinds of people. But it is, you know, the surf industry that these, you know, just, I mean, flip through the slideshow. We put it up on the website and, you, and sure. everybody can see. Uh, but so Dirk Ziff, you could picture looking out at these faces uh, he's he's out of touch. Those people, every the, the entire surf industry, I realize, is out of completely untethered from what surfers actually want, by and large, right? And then his 
you could tell he's very proud about his relationship with Kelly Slater. I mean, his number one thing, you know, they, they praise Kelly profusely, both he and Natasha and their prepared, prepared remarks. Um, and you can tell he's very proud of Kelly and very, you know, of course, Kelly's an icon. He's great. Yeah. But Kelly's fucking untethered from what the surfer wants. Like, all if you ever go onto Kelly's Instagram, the only thing Kelly really gets is, you know, sycophants saying, oh, Kelly, you're the greatest thing ever. What you do is the greatest thing ever. So Kelly doesn't know. And Kelly's Kelly's too well known, I think, to be able to walk, uh, you know, without being known down to the beach to actually listen to surfers talk or go right. to New Jersey. But this is this was my thought. I, I'm going to offer Dirk Ziff. Dear Dirk Ziff, uh, nobody knows you. Nobody knows the way your face looks or, you know, you're not a well-known personality. I will happily take Dirk Ziff to the boardroom show, to the Florida Surf Film Festival, you know, out to New Jersey, up to Santa Cruz. Dirk, I think, needs to get away from staring at SEMA faces and actually just go sit with people. He doesn't even have to ask questions. Just go listen to what actual surfers are talking about in their days and their lives and the, the things actual surfers are inspired, you know, with about surfing or inspired by about surfing. And also what they'd like to see from competitive surfing. I mean, you could do a couple laps around the boardroom show, right? And, I mean, hear more about, oh, you know, this stinks or this is great or I like this or I don't like that. Uh, that would be more valuable than, you know, a night at SEMA where, and, you know, shame on Ziff, uh, shame on both he and his wife for being entirely disconnected and somehow thinking that because they are Waterman of the Year and at a SEMA ball, that they know what surfers want. And it's a real bummer. I mean, do you think if you actually got that opportunity with Ziff that it would even matter? I, it I mean, should matter. It should. I don't think it would. Like, I think you're right in the assessment that the, w, the WSL is chasing, you know, this broader audience, but trying to figure out what the core surfer wants. The ASP, I feel like you're right, were core surfers, but, and they did what the surfer wanted, but they, um, we're not business people. And sure, so they just, didn't know was, how to grow. It was so disorganized. Now, exactly. So now the WSL comes in and they go, okay, well, we can help grow to that larger audience, but they're not core surfers anymore. So there is the disconnect that you're talking about. But there's also no larger audience. That's the problem. That's, well, feel, that's what they don't know or they haven't accepted yet. I feel their audience is not only not growing. I feel their audience is contracting. I yes, I agree with you right there because the only audience that they had was us, the core surfers. Now they're alienating us in search of that bigger audience, which doesn't exist. But what I'm suggesting is that even if you showed him what the core surfer wants, he'll go, yeah, that's great. That's not enough people to run our business. So we have to continue moving this direction. And I would say, I mean, fine, but you're wrong, right? Like the, the, it's not that, like, I feel truly in the heart of my hearts that the core surfer knows what's best for surfing. Um, and if Ziff is, you know, has enough humility to spend a couple years or you know a year, a couple months even, a week even, listening to what they want, the product will not only be better, the product will appeal to more people outside of surfing. It was core surfers who sold the dream initially, right? I mean, yeah. Bob McKnight and all these guys were just rabid surfers. That's all they were. They weren't businessmen. They weren't, they didn't have an idea to make you know, trunks to make millions of dollars. That all came accidentally based on them being core surfers. Like all of those original founding fathers of, you know, the surf brands and all that, that's what they started. Nobody came in as a businessman and said, oh, this right. is an awesome market. Let's let's sell this, right? And when that started happening, then stuff started failing, I think. And not only that, I think, again, Ziff, if he listens, quietly listens to, 
you know, just the crusty, crusty, crusty bastards and bastardettes. Uh, yeah, he will learn something and his product will actually become better and more saleable. Yes, I agree with that completely. I think um, my, my problem with the speech in addition to that was he's never going to accomplish his stated goal by approaching it that way. Um, I, mean, like, I can't, like I can't believe he teed me up. Like, oh, well, that's the thing is like, look at any other sport, NBA, football. There is multitudes of programming devoted towards criticism. And he's saying constructive criticism is okay. Well, there's plenty as well who are personally attacking the referees or the athletes and their affairs that they've had outside of their marriage and kids that they don't take care of, all that stuff. I mean, that's what makes sports fun. And that's yes. what I think the NBA, the NFL, and you know the majors understand that, like to foster this dialogue, yes. not to try to squash it. Like that if somebody's talking, even if they're talking shit, then they're at least talking. Like, the impassioned come, fan, yeah. whether no matter where their passion is directed, sure. is highly valuable. Is I mean, that's the reason that you yes. that the leagues exist, right? Yeah. For him not to understand that, or to think that somehow in this like fascist organization that you know it's either respect us, hey, we'll take a little bit of your criticism, we'll say that you know we'll allow you to say that the webcast goes a little too long, and maybe you know we'll work on that. Right. But all of it is open, right? Like I mean, the entire the entirety of of yeah i mean it, it baffles it, me that he took it personally that well that's took, that's what it is for me it was it was an issue of what you said you highlighted that really well but i thought there was an additional thing which is kind of like he doesn't even know what his role is as the ceo him even responding to this is kind of bizarre and then the way that he handled it or the way that he the things that he addressed were also bizarre like can you think of any criticism you've ever heard that was um, directed at Caroline Marks or Griffin or no. like, I mean, there's nothing personal has ever been said about them as far as, I mean, maybe there's a tweet that he had seen that, but for the most part, nobody's saying anything negative about Lakey Peterson. And what I felt his approach made them victims to support this sympathetic narrative that he was trying to convey it's like, oh, look at these victims over here that you guys have victimized. And it's like, no, 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 they weren't. Now you're making them victims, which is actually a super cheap ploy. Yep. And then it's also never going to advance. Like, if they really were victims, you labeling them as such is just putting them in the wrong hole. Like, they're not. They're empowered athletes who don't give a crap what Twitter says, and they're going to go out and get their world title, you and the, know? And the, the, another major problem, I think, I mean, for him, not for me, I'm so happy, but for him was, I think the WSL was already, you know, there was a lot of noise. It was, It's not the most popular thing amongst, you know, I mean, there is a lot of, I feel a lot of people feel negatively about the WSL, right? What they're doing, the direction they're going, how they're going about it from blowing it in Hawaii to, you know, Facebook rollout, uh, Facebook rollout. Like there's, there's kind of myriad, you know, reasons that people are frustrated for him to go draw a line in the sand too, and actually, uh, solidify the base that's anti, you know, as to give them a name, grumpy surfers to me is just, okay, now you're, you're begging for your own demise, right? Because this group of grumpy surfers is going to come together and now you made them a block, right? Yeah. And so, and here we go. Like, and I feel that, you know, Beach Grit too is the, I don't know who else he's talking about, to be honest, because I don't know, 
I read lots of surf media. Surf media is not critical of the WSL. The only, I agree. The only one who's critical is Beach Grid, day in and day out, right? Like, Stab is fawning over the WSL at this point. I have no idea if they're if they feel they're going to get bought by the WSL or what. But like the amount, of, like you know, they put up speakers' uh, speech fawning over it. Did you right. see that? That was Stab's response. Was a fawning story of like, oh, isn't he passionate about our our sport? Great. Right. Which is embarrassing. The inertia is never, you know, I mean, is milk toast, but is will be all over the board, but never anti WSL. It's just, you know, and WS or the inertia is more pro Kelly. It's like a yeah. odd pro Kelly mouthpiece, um, you know. And Surfline's never anti WSL. Nobody is except for Beach Grit. And so he was specifically addressing Beach Grit, which you know I, I feel I can say with I don't think that's a I, I that's think a stretch, he could have right? been addressing comment sections as well. Like if you pull up Instagram on their feed, you'll see a lot of negativity. Sure. Okay. So, but but in terms of surf media, because he was specifically Correct. talking about in terms surf, media, of surf media, I don't and you know I may be wrong, but it feels like he was going directly after Beach Grit, and I am so happy for Beach Grit to take the mantle of the grouchy surfer and say, okay, now now that you've given this a name. I am so happy to force you to actually make something that is going to work or get the fuck out. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. I think, so I agree. It was odd that he even took it personally. Um, I think he needs to either, there's two roles that you could do as the CEO. But he's not the CEO. He's the owner. That's true. Sophie's the CEO. That's a good, right. That's true. Which he totally pulled the rug out from under her also in that speech, I felt. I saw her the other day at Pacific City during the US Open, like in the evening after everybody was leaving. Uh, she just was randomly walking by and I so wanted to say hi to her, but she was on the phone. Yeah. I would have, I would have sure. definitely said hi to her, but she was on the phone and I didn't want to interrupt her. Here's the, here's the thing with them. I think I, like, cause I think Sophie really tried to put a good foot forward at least when, when Derek and I went and did surf ranch, Sophie right. was there for that and really was trying to engage and talk to everybody, you know, and, and she seemed like she was, you know, knew that there was bad blood in the past between Serve Media and the WSL and was trying to fix it and all all that and find a good... And I don't know what her position is now, but I've reached out and tried to get interviews with Backward Finn Beth and obviously forever with Speaker and all these guys. And they never... They get... One thing is... Or they feel they get one slight, I think, and then it's just slam, doors closed. You will never talk to me again. Which I'm thinking, how ridiculous. If, you, if your skin is so thin that you can't take criticism for putting your fins in backwards when you're the chief marketing officer of professional surfing, then come on. Like yeah. if I'm if I'm not allowed to laugh at you and you you can't find the humor in there. I mean, I've been bashed my whole entire life. Like you But we we were talking off air. We think I think they're just understaffed. I I think that there's two approaches with you reaching out. It's kind of like number 1, Let's not even pay any attention to them at all. And number two is just they don't have enough time. They need a communications department to really handle that sort of stuff. And they do have Dave Prodan, but he's got to be overworked. And, and I, he can I, engage with every question you and I have. I would totally agree with you up until Ziff's speech when it's where it's very clear that, that they're the, paying that, close attention. And that the hurt feelings yeah. are, are held close, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that was a major part of speech. Not only that. Uh, did you know the mic went dead before he delivered that part? I was going to ask you about that. Okay, so from eyewitness, I've received multiple eyewitness reports from what happened. And here we go. You ready for it? Yes. Okay, so I guess they have a sound, you know, shut off. Curfew. T- t- curfew, 10 o'clock sharp. Uh, it was right before he got to the point about surf journalists hurting his feelings uh, that they cut the sound, right? So he, I guess he's kind of stepped back from the mic, uh, was confused. Graham Stapleberg standing behind him started fighting with the sound guy or with the owner of the whatever the was was the place called the ranch the canyon 
something. I, I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, and the guy was saying, like, no, you know, we can't. We have strict curfew. So Graham's back there fighting. Uh, Paul Speaker felt so important about this component. Paul this Speaker? Part of the, Paul Speaker, sorry. Uh, Dirk Ziff felt so important about this part of the speech that he stood up without the mic and started screaming it. So he screamed this part. That's how, that's how hurt his feelings are, is that even though the mic was dead, he didn't, you know, just, okay, thank you, good night. Uh, no, he had, so, he had to get this out no matter what. So this was reported on Shop Eat Surf, and they said exactly that. They're like, oh, yeah, the sound went out, but we got a transcript of his speech. Here it is in text. And so I thought immediately conspiracy theory. Whoever's working with him at the WSL read the speech in advance and goes, shut him off. Pull the plug on the mic at that point in the speech. It would have been I'm, a smart move. I would love to know from your sources who were there, was it at 10 o'clock precisely that the mic got pulled? I'll or go, was it like 9.55? I'll go back know? and look because that's a great question. But conspiracy the fact theory. That, I mean, but, but clearly though, the WSL released the transcript like shop, eat, serve. But I could see Dirk being indignant and be like, yes, I'm going to send it to the journalist because yeah, this is an amazing you guys, speech. you pulled the plug on me. I didn't want you to pull the plug. Here's my speech. I'm real curious how this, because it feels like a watershed moment to me. And maybe it's just because we're the I'm, only ones that care. I mean, obviously the, the internet cares as well, Yeah. but it's bizarre that it is a watershed moment and none of the legacy surf media is actually paying any attention at all. Well, I think the legacy surf media though are so like bed. are either yeah. in bed and or spineless. Not one of them has, True. has, you know, one ounce of guts. I mean, stab is the most gutless of the publications. The inertia is, you know, clearly gutless. Surfline is actually a partner of the WSL. Yeah. Which other, you know, Surfer Mag? I think Surfer Surfer probably will address it and or has. I haven't checked yet, but Surfer I think will stand up to the WSL. I think Surfer I think they they're not afraid to stand up to the WSL, but it's not the voice. It's not, it's their not voice. really. Yeah, they're not like covering contests That's like a, on the beat. You I know? don't. Yeah, I don't think the the WSL is Surfer Magazine's beat yeah. more or less. Um, but yeah, like yeah. I don't know. I, it feels like so, it's a watershed moment, though, and it feels like the the water the you know water will also sweep stab and the inertia and everything away. Like as they yeah, don't get I on agree. board with the with I feel with this genuine like okay, let's take surfing back. Right, that's the way it feels to me. Is this is a chance for core surfers to take surfing back, and they keep dangling. You know, well, this is all going to go away, and you guys won't have any surfing to watch. Hell no, it won't go away. Like. If that goes away, if the WSL, this iteration of the WSL goes away, I guarantee there will be 10 surf contests next year. Yeah, of course. Awesome. They may be independently run. Right. Whatever. Professional surfing is not going away. The tour is not going away. It, it could radically change. Yeah. But, but I think the fear that, well, all this money we're pouring in is going to evaporate. Well, take that's, the, take that's the, their fear. Because exactly. they're not going to get a return on that nope. investment. And take yeah. your damn money and leave. Well, so one thing I did love about it, but I don't think this will ever come to fruition, is I felt like we had... A fight on our hands like I felt like good Dirk I, I wish he would respond to your rebuttal I wish that he would go hey dumbass I'm a billionaire and I've earned all this money through these methods watch me do it again here with your precious little sport yeah while you complain on the sidelines that somebody stole your ball I would like I would love that. that but I don't think he will and so what I was going to say earlier when I mischaracterize him as the CEO is like Take the silent approach and just sit back and do your work and be the, the puppeteer running the marionette, whatever. Or I love Dana White nowadays, sure. who is just in getting there. into it. Like totally. he'll not only call out fans and get in fights with them on social media, he will call out their own athletes. Yeah, Conor he'll call McGregor out yeah. his, his most, I mean, yeah. the, the most valuable of his athletes. And his referees. Yep. He'll be like Herb Johnson or whatever that guy, Herb Dean, 
blew it in that fight. That guy needs to get fired, you know, and then he's back for the next fight too. But it's awesome to see Dana White just getting in the mix. But the thing is, Dana doesn't just sling mud and then go back into the shadows. He fights back with people and the most lowly of people, you know, like that's the thing. I mean, and Dirk and Natasha both, I think, really pride themselves on their privacy. I mean, Natasha and her speech said we're both very private people, whatever. So great. Be private. But don't don't go deliver lame speeches like that. Like be private and be gone or but they should empower Sophie or whoever the next CEO is to actually be more involved. And again, but that's the thing is who Dana White is. engaging with our core fight fans right? right that's who he's that's who he's mixing it up with where sophie doesn't know a core surfer to you know save her life like yeah. so who's she going to mix it up with who are they don't even know Ziff that, well that's the thing don't then don't speak the language so then don't take that lane i'm not saying they have to take dana's lane i'm saying that's a lane and you sure. slung mud so either stay in the battle or never oh, sling mud the, in the first totally place. The, the pussy the pussy back out for ziff i mean I, I would like for him not i would love and again i will beg beg on this program for an interview or a dinner or anything i mean i would love more than anything to take ziff somewhere where real surfers are hanging out and just yeah. sit with him for a minute right. like doesn't have to be a big production just sit down and watch right because i know what he thinks i know he thinks i'm friends with kelly slater Kelly Slater is the best surfer in the world. Therefore, I understand surfing. I would argue Kelly Slater has not understood uh, any kind of core surfer for 20 years. See, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I kind of take exception to it. I will say I think Kelly, Kelly cringed when Dirk used his name. I got it. Just reading it, I cringed for Kelly. Sure. When he's like, you're, you're, you think you're taking down the WSL, you're really attacking Kelly Slater. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't think Kelly feels that way. Well, you I might not want to speak. Well, that's the thing, too. And I know Kelly, and Kelly engages regularly, right? On yeah. his feet. And I know, like, there's a bunch of sycophants, but there's also, he gets a lot of hate on there. And he, I mean, I think Kelly, Kelly as the role of Dana White, I mean, Kelly should be CEO then. Because Kelly does a great job, I think, of that. But I just think that Kelly's been so coddled for the last 20 years that he just, He's even no fault of his own. He's just, you know, flying private and or yes. first class everywhere to the best waves in the world to surf with Drew Brees and da 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 da. Like Kelly's just his vision. He doesn't know. He he could never know. He's he's above it all, right? What what life is like just down on the beach with the crummy, crusty local, right? So yes, I think that once you start being coddled in any phase of your life, whether it's because of the money that you have or whatever, any amount of celebrity does kind of unfortunately put um, some sort of filters on sure. you and you you have a hard time remembering what it was like to come from totally. whatever it was. So I think that part is true and he's been doing that for so many decades for, I mean, for that it would be hard. Years. Yeah, it'd be of hard course. for him to actually be resonate with you or I or whatever. But uh, this might sound totally cliche and lame, but like I feel like surfing is the great equalizer, right? So once he's out there surfing cloud break at 10 foot being humbled by mother nature, like that puts you back into the same mindset as you and I out there trying to get ours every day. So there's an element of connectivity that we all have based on that. And I actually did this interview with um, Cliff Capono, right? Who like studies bacteria that's in human. And he's like, yeah, dude, the bacteria that you have um, is the same bacteria 
that a guy in Morocco, that a surfer in Morocco has, just by spending that much time in the ocean, you guys have this same thing. And by the way, your bacteria influences not only your behavior, but your worldview and oh, all these other things. That's an it's, amazing point. It's really, really fascinating. And so it sounds, again, cheesy that you're this brotherhood just because you surf. But I think there's scientific, scientific kind of implication for that or evidence. And then there's also just the thing of Kelly doing the same thing every single day, getting humbled by mother nature kind of puts you in this position to where you see things the same and your worldview is shared. And I, and I completely agree with that. I just think that Kelly, uh, he doesn't know as well, just, you know, like what the, what the talk in the trenches is, right? Like, sure. I think we all feel, you know, similar about surfing and, and again, taking nothing away from Kelly. I just how how could he know right? But he but couldn't. this is but this is where Dirk is getting I feel, you know, a huge percentage of his okay. This is what surfers want right? And again, looking out at the faces of SEMA, those fucking people don't know. They're too busy wrecking their surf brands and have been <laughs> too busy wrecking their surf brands for you know ten fifteen years. So yeah. what do they know? Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's it really highlights what we've been talking about for years actually. Yeah, which is the disconnect. Yeah. Um, why was he Waterman of the Year? First of all, can we just acknowledge that we kind of stepped on the lead? It was uh, who somebody else was supposed to be it. He was. Oh, he I was didn't even, know that. Yeah, I can't remember who was it. I'll put. I'll email it to you. Did the Did the other person decline? The other person either declined or couldn't be there or something, and so it was then went to Dirk and Natasha. It's hilarious. Very funny. Very funny. Very funny that they would accept the award. To be honest, I mean, yeah. What the hell, like. It shows how how important I, th- I feel. They feel pretty self important about this point. Like, oh yeah, we've and from all the media that's come out, I think that's they feel funny. that the WSL has saved surfing. I feel they like if you read the all the press about that Waterman of the Year award, it was surfing was dead. Surfing was in this deep dark place. Damn that Brody Car and the old ASP, the benevolent Ziffs sitting you know atop their you know thrones looked down with grace upon professional surfing and rescued it. And that's the that's the narrative, right? Yeah. Like, hell no, the ASP was felt just the same as the WSL. Like, sure, the stream was maybe not as great, but yeah. I mean, more or less, the ASP was the same and or better in many ways than this current WSL. We feel like a marginalized group group who's now being patronized yeah. by this billionaire. Which is so it's hilarious. But that's what he really thinks. But, I think he well, feels so he's if you, surfing. I think I think honestly the because there would be no real way, I mean no hard number of if it's succeeding or failing, I think. Uh, and I think we have the feeling that it's failing. I bet he has all these pencil pushers who are there saying, No, 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 no. Look at we have an upswing over here in this demographic and that's, you know, the future and all these things are paying off and da, da, da. I bet he thinks that it's it's not only did he save it, but you know, any day now it's going to be a wildly profitable success. Key performance indicators, right? Like yeah. um what what could they possibly be where his analysts could say that we've grown in this space. I'm sure they're like... Look, I don't think there are. I'm sure they're looking at like... For him to even say surfing is now more popular than ever or whatever he said in this speech... Yeah. Well, he I, sure I, believes it. He, I mean, uh, he dude, I don't know if it. he does. I think he believes it and I think he has people who believe it under him and I think at some point people don't believe it uh, who actually work there. But I think there's absolutely, positively, no way... The only way surfing is growing is because the population of the globe is growing. That... I agree with you there. I don't believe that he believes it necessarily. Like I think when you're in that position, you always just say everything's terrific. 
things are going to be huge. You sure. know, like but you're I, just always promoting because they're looking to sell the business down at a certain point. They're looking to boost those numbers, get all those sponsorship, and then flip it, right? I bet he believes that. I bet that's why he was, really? he, he delivered his hurt feeling speech because he's like, what? why people? I've saved your thing. I've made it Shoot. brilliant and that's wonderful. Even, it's, that's it's even growing. more disconnected. It if is. that's the truth, then it's that's the even more disconnected. I, I guarantee he believes that surfing is on is not only bigger than it's ever been in history, but is on a growth trajectory that's healthy and will lead to, you know, I mean, that's his whole d- dang floating the prosperity boat thing. Like, hey, if we keep going here, if you keep letting me save, right. save us, we are all going to prosper, right? You surf brands are going to come back from the grave. The surf brands are coming back from the grave. Though, I mean, especially the ones in it right now. There is not one positive thing on their outlook forecast. If they do revive, it's, um, it's either there's one of two methods there's either continue chasing middle of america retail big stores or completely scale everything back and reinvest in the core and be happy with a 20 million dollar business well that's you the know? thing i mean i think that the success stories at sema are the little 20 million dollar businesses right again we've talked about it it's the salty crews and yeah. the the ones who aren't these massively you know or none of them are massive anymore but publicly traded and or you know, private equity and or whatever, they'll never find their way back. They, they never know, you know, how to compete with and even who they're competing with. Because like, really their competition is, you know, fast fashion and or... Hollister. Yeah, or, I mean, yeah. even Hollister is failing. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the dang thing. It's just this, it's this messy stew. The best thing is to kill them all and allow, uh, you know, new small coarser brands to rise out of the ashes because surfers need stuff and there'll be small brands that you know, come up and are able to deliver. Let's talk about their growth potential, the WSL trying to find that elusive viewer. Um, last time we met, we talked about that Facebook rollout and trying to figure out whether or not the viewer numbers were aggregated or how they were. I've gotten a number of emails from listeners and screenshots and information people just like, hey, I asked, or maybe we talked about that yeah. on the air, yeah. I ask where people are from, and one guy's from Morocco, one guy's from New Zealand. And they all have the same exact all... viewer numbers on the screen. Exactly. Yeah. So the more that I've kind of dug into it and looked at publication, circulation numbers for the magazines, my download numbers on the podcast, all that stuff, I'm not convinced that the number will ever grow beyond what it's at, basically. Like, yeah. I don't know that there is an elusive customer that cares about surfing in the way that we care about it enough to consume the content to me the elusive customer is is the core surfer who's not watching right i mean but even yes you're right that's it but even that's limited by the number of coastlines that there are and how much real estate you could put on those coastlines for people to actually surf sure but let's say there's what do you i mean we pegged the number for like 1.2 million let's say that's 1.5 to 2.5 million surfers in what you want to say in the world in america say 2.5 million in the world right I mean, that's an okay. If you start focusing on getting all of those people to watch it, now 2.5 million viewers is not massive, but that's a good, that would be a healthy, I bet, uh, you know, sub. Like the fact that they're trying to be one of the great elite professional sports, like they're going to be as big as baseball, football, or basketball, is clearly laughable, but like also clearly laughable. Like those, surfing is hard enough to understand to watch it for people who like to surf, yeah. like the judging criteria, all of it. And again, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. How in the world is somebody who doesn't surf, who doesn't know how that feels, who doesn't know how difficult the stuff is, et cetera, et cetera, ever going to watch it? Right. Well, you might be right. I, As you're saying that there's a lot of surfers who don't watch competitive surfing, 
I'm realizing like a number of people that I've interviewed on these long form interviews don't watch the WSL. Exactly. And I'll ask that question like, oh, how closely do you follow? And they're just like, oh, I don't care. And they don't and know like, who Felipe Toledo is, and which core, is shocking core to surfers. me. Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. Like proper core surfers. They're even professionals, shapers or whatever. You know, they're making a living off of surfing and they don't pay attention. No. And everybody that they're building boards for that's buying alternative shapes or mid lengths or whatever doesn't care. See, and that's, and that's where I feel the WSL has really, really, really gone off and totally wrong is because now you're not only those people don't care, but now you're completely disenfranchising whole more groups of that core surfer. So you're, you're just cutting off the only nut you have. And again, I've said this ad nauseum on the show too, in you know, chase of this elusive viewer who doesn't exist now and will never exist. Yeah. When I was growing up, I was so focused on obviously Orange County, like writing a short board, reading every magazine, who won what contest, all that sort of stuff. I thought that's all that surfing was. Me too, as a kid. You know? I mean, in Oregon, I thought like I would, I would pour over contest results like, you know, Re, yeah, you know, at the, at the end of Surfer Magazine. That was the best re, section. Totally. I thought it was awesome. I'd see like friends of mine who did like a USSF contest and made the quarterfinals. Yeah. Their name was in the magazine, you know. Whoa, you arrived. Um, yeah, that, that feeling well, I think is totally gone. What's funny is when I started doing the podcast like five years ago, I still had a lot of that mindset. And then I'd get emails from listeners saying, hey, you should interview so-and-so. And it's like some shaper that I've never heard of. And I'm like, I realized really quickly that my listenership was so much more informed than I was and had a much more diverse set of interests. And they might've been older and more educated and been around surfing a lot longer than I had, um, even though it had been almost my whole life, that it made me reevaluate. I was like, oh shoot, if I wanna enter this space of producing media and content, I need to really study up. And so I've made an intention to learn about those things, you know, and to seek out those people. But um, it's a much, vaster thing than what you cover on beach grid or then really even what i talk For about sure. on the show i mean like, that's the thing i know at beach grid you know we take a certain approach but we yeah, scratch, of course. just scratch the surface about what surfers are interested in right i mean but that's the thing that's your lane and you you can't sure. do everything well so you stick in a lane and, but but i don't confuse also my lane for the entirety exactly. of the thing which i feel right. that the ziffs uh have completely done confuse the people sitting out in front of them the sema you know people as that is the surf market and we're going to do stuff for them to make them prosperous. And that's going to, because we're going to attract, you know, this giant boatload of other people who are going to come buy surf products again. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it's, it's asinine. Well, so kind of a really good public experience of what we're talking about is the U S open. Yeah. This thing is a spectacle. Like 80 it, arrested. What? 80 arrested. No way. This year. Yeah, it was good. Really? Yep. So it's a, it's a spectacle where surfing is the main show, but nobody, and I don't know how many people go to that thing, a hundred thousand people throughout the course of the week. I think maybe they more? say, I think they say 500,000 okay. is the, is the number that they, which I always get. love. Like, how do you even come up with that number? There's no nobody idea. there with a clicker nope. counting, you know, it's nope. like, yeah. how do you even anyway? Um, so this thing, surfing is the main show. Half a million people come to view this main show, and a lot of them probably don't even view it. They just walk through the sand and go to the skate bowl or whatever. Um, but without the surfing, the, the event wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist, yeah. yeah. And it's a really interesting thing to watch the competition. Me, who's actually watching every single heat, it's interesting to see how that um, 
surfing is different than it is th- throughout the rest of the world because it's an arena atmosphere. There's people lining the sand and the pier. It creates this arena thing where you get immediate response from the crowd. And we can talk about Kanoa Igarashi's celebration after he won the event. Yeah, he says he blacked out. Did you see he that? Does, yeah. So, but throughout the event, there's a lot of engagement with the fans and the surfers in a way that I found to be really exciting, actually. It wasn't offensive. Often I'm offended by it if it's in the middle of the ocean somewhere where there's no viewers, you know? Um, and a surfer gets blown out of a wave or kicks out of a wave and tries to juice the judges for a score. I think we need to look at claims kind of in two separate camps. There is juicing, trying to elicit some sort of emotion from the judge that they weren't feeling by your ride, hoping that you get half a point higher. And then there's the examples. I remember Kai Otten just getting blown out of a wave at Chopu and like with his head thrown back, completely sincere that that was the best wave he ever got in his life or, or and he didn't expect to make it. And that's palpable, you know, like as a judge, how could you not be influenced? I mean, you're going to give him a 10 anyways, but it's, it's emotional. So those th- two things need to kind of be separated. And I feel like what was happening at the U S open was almost in the middle of them. It was like, I, I do believe K- Kanoa was sincere. He did not think he was going to land the air reverse. He landed it. He was claiming because he loved that he got, the, but he also, there's an energy exchange between him and the fans sure. on the beach that he's also trying to cultivate. And I didn't feel like it was as egregious as it's been in the past where maybe it's in the middle of the ocean because he, I almost love the fact that he's being a showman and that he's drawing the crowd into it. Totally. You know, what, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I wrote a piece about Kanoa wondering if he's the future of surfing because Derek and... Uh, James and I had been debating it, you know, where I just think Kanoa is a kind of an awkward acting person where I like him a lot. You know, I think he surfs well. I I would wish that he could. I I mean, I wish him nothing but success. I just think when he celebrates, it comes across as really stilted. And when something comes off as forced, like you look at his eyes, right? Like there's these pictures of him wagging his, you know, um, number one finger mouth wide open. And his eyes are just kind of dead. Like, or they're, they, they don't, it just emotion doesn't resonate off him like it does off some people where it just doesn't feel natural i think which is why for me his celebration is just like it's like you know the uh needle jumping the record right where it just it feels off um nothing against him nothing against anything i just yeah. think he's if you saw him getting married and he was like yeah i'm married it would still look off right it's just it's no matter what he's celebrating well maybe look off. maybe we can relate this to kelly and dirk conversation from earlier the disconnect thing where he was bred to be a yeah. world champion, and he has been. Um, his everything's been kind of curated and cultivated and supported, and there's been a buffer around him. So, does he have the emotional capacity to even connect with the fan or to connect with the person? He's feeling a lot of emotion, but all of that emotion is based on like your whole purpose is to win this event, and now you're winning this event. It's a little bit of a different emotional celebration than if you really a genuine i just won although he did come from nothing well that's the thing too i totally believe i i don't doubt at all his sincerity i don't doubt that he's really you know enjoying the moment all of it i don't think he's faking it i just think that like some people can't dance right kanoa can't celebrate like he just looks maybe that's all it is he just looks awkward doing it he's an awkward celebrator yeah 
And so then it, and then it makes it worse when he amps it up because then, you know, it's like somebody who can't dance at the wedding who's like kind of snapping their finger and bobbing right. their head. But then the song they like comes on and they really get into it and now they really can't dance, right? Where yeah. that's, but that, that's great too. It is. And, and looking at Canela through that, like yeah. through that lens, it makes me like his celebrations, right? He's just a guy who can't celebrate. He's really trying. He's a yeah. boy, the boy who can't dance. I'm a fan of Kanoa. Um, I am too. People think I've, I hate no, him. No, no. I've known him since he was fairly young and know his parents and stuff. And so I have a little bit more, I don't want to ever say anything negative. You yeah. know, like I run everything through that filter, but I actually do like him. I try to move that filter aside and go, okay, if this was Jadson Andre, how would I feel about but this? That's th- I, think, I think the problem with Kanoa, uh, as far as a surf fan is concerned, he just comes across as really one-dimensional and bland. I mean, there's but, besides being Japanese, there's nothing compelling about him that I'm interested in, right? And I feel, as a surf fan, the, there's two things that are required. The guy has to rip, or girl has to rip, and she has to be interesting. Kanoa rips and is completely uninteresting. That's the problem, I think, with having all of that management and support from when you're really young. Yep. I was worried about that with Chloe Andino when he was coming up. I'm currently worried about that with Griffin Colapinto. Yep. You know, it's and, like, and I think that's all. And I think Chloe is broken out of it. I think Chloe yeah. has found his own mojo. But talking to Chloe as a kid, even though Chloe had all this uh, infrastructure around him to make sure he was going to be a champ someday. He was still a fiery little, you know, right. fiery little bastard. Like, Kolohe always had personality. Because his dad has personality. Totally. Yeah. Where I don't see any personality. You know, and I've talked to Kanoa. Like, I've interacted with him. I just, I still don't see any personality. It's a cultural thing, maybe. Like, Japanese are more reserved, you know, more kind of... It'd be awesome, though. I mean, if that's what it is, then act Japanese. You know, when you, after you win, like, do a polite bow uh, after your reverse. <laughs> Could you imagine the, that? Yeah, it would be, epic, be amazing. Right? Instead of this, uh, like, I mean, yeah, Kanoa, if you listen... You just can't dance, so don't try to dance. Like that would be so amazing. Not your thing. Well, what's interesting is um, I have a friend who doesn't really know anything about surfing, but he reads the news, the local news and stuff. And so he sent me a note, um, like Orange County Register reporting his win or whatever. And he was like, "Yeah, um, it's too bad. I don't really like him." And I replied back, and I'm like, "Well, that's weird that you don't like him. Why don't you like him?" As somebody who doesn't know anything about our sport. And he was like, oh, he's just not humble enough. You know, he's like, did you see his, when he won that event? You know, he's just way, way over the top. He's not humble enough. Whereas this exact friend um, was riding his bike completely randomly down PCH one day when I was with Brett Simpson on the side of the road, gonna about to go surf. And I saw him and I flagged him down. I was like, hey, what's up? And then he stopped his bike and he knew who Brett Simpson was because he had won two world or two US Opens. And that exchange with Brett Simpson for five 30 seconds that day, he still talks about today. He goes, dude, that guy's so cool. I saw that he got his hands in the cement. Like, I would totally support that guy. He's like a fan because of this one interaction. And yet now he's not a fan of Kanoa because of this one, not even personal interaction. Which, I mean, and that's the, that's the, but those are the lives. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah, I I took it as kind of more impactful. Like his sentiment through email kind of gave me a better gauge on how the world views this thing than you and I talking to fans every day through Instagram DMs or whatever. For sure, but I, but I think that there is something about like a guy like Kanoa where there's a lot of people rubbed the wrong way by the way he celebrated, right? And there's a reason for that. And it's like, whether you want to say all the people who are disliking him are rude or whatever, right? Like, it just comes, I mean, Kanoa, 
at least right now at this point in his life, comes across as awkward where, you know, and I think that awkwardness, that dis- dissonance between what you see and what's happening, Kanoa really has a lot of that. Like his his celebration was a very, by any any standard, was a very awkward yeah. physical it, display. It was, I would argue, the most egregious display of celebration that we've ever seen in surfing. Well, and especially, period. and especially, I think, off for surfers too. Uh, the the bigness, largeness, whatever of the celebration usually should be in some kind of context with the waves. And the fact right. that you're celebrating this massive celebration where it was honestly all the entire, I mean, I didn't watch any of it, but was it knee high and below the entire time? Yes. Yeah. And so to have this massive celebration for winning something that was really, 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 really bad surf is, you know, if you would have won pipe, like big, huge pipe, you know, or if it was at Huntington, if it was as big as pipeline, you know, big barrels and he come yeah. out, then I think the celebration would have felt more I thought about sincere. That. Just the fact that it was piddly garbage. Like I you think, should, you should almost be ashamed of your win. Yeah. I thought about that. And what I, what I was wondering is if, um, the celebration is more related to the drama yeah. and the, oftentimes the ocean Chopu pipeline creates all of that drama. And that's where the celebration comes from. Well, and also but the maybe, fact that their, their hearts are genuinely in their throats, I'm sure, yeah, right? When you're totally. dropping into a big chopu bomb, like you are, as you know, each one of them is just, I'm sure, wound as tight as can be. And so when that releases, it's like, boom, celebration. Right. Whereas there's no way Kanoa was wound up about serving But no, that's, the that's my point is I think a lot of that is drama. The waves are so scary. It's dramatic. Kanoa's drama was about this intense exchange that he's having with Griffin Colapinto. They were trading scores. It was like a minute left on the clock. Kanoa needed the big score and then he got it. And so it was an elation from, you know, delivering when there was that much drama on the line. But I agree with you. A lot of like Dane Reynolds wouldn't feel dramatic about an exchange that he's having with another surfer. He would feel dramatic about making wave at Chopes. Yeah. So that's, that's the one factor there. And, and yeah, Kanoa, he can. It's gonna be a learning moment for Kanoa. I don't know if it will be. Like I don't dance, Kanoa. Honestly, I I don't see him altering course. Like he's got. He won a hundred thousand or whatever the paycheck was. I think sponsors laud him. I think everybody in that world around him lauds him. I don't know how much he pays attention to what anybody else, any of the naysayers are saying, um, and he just onward. You know. Yeah. Great. Well, good on because. Excited to make fun again next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my Barrel or Nah segments comes from Kanoa, by oh, the way. Yeah. Actually, a couple of them. Do. Are we going to get into Barrel or Nah? Yeah, do you want to? Or yeah. is there anything else that we have to discuss? From- I mean, I'm sure there's more, but I'm back now. So we're going to get on the air okay. in two quick weeks. Okay. So four long ones. Okay. We promise the listeners. All right. So Barrel or Nah, uh, gold chain necklaces. Oh. Kanoa wears one, but I've got... An amazing photograph I want you to see as well before you answer this. This is our beloved Chris Ward. Oh, yeah. Chris Ward just chained up. Oh, how did you get such a nice picture of Chris Ward? He took that and posted it in his stories. He selfied this in his stories. Amazing. I'll post it. Surfsplinterpodcast.com if anybody wants to see Chris Ward's selfie. I have never been a fan of the gold chain, full stop. And so I'm going to say no. Like, I've never... you know, it's come and gone. I think the gold chain as a statement piece has come and gone twice now in my lifetime. And both times I thought, ooh, 
That, that is an, I don't really like adorned males, though. I don't either. I don't wear any jewelry I don't at like, all, yeah, ever. Johnny Depp, you know, with his 18 amulets and all that. Like, so, yeah, I don't like adorned males. The gold chain seems, especially, like, on a guy like Kanoa, I really feel like I'm Kanoa bashing today. It's pretty rude. He's a nice young boy. But <laughs> I feel that Kanoa probably listens to uh, rap and has his gold chain, and then that's even more embarrassing, right? So growing up, uh, like, I felt like the gold chain had a place obviously there's like um subcultures definitely there were gold chains and it just wasn't a part of the surf subculture so as it started to in to filter in i haven't fully embraced it it always looks odd to me it looks off well and if you and think about surfing with a gold chain too like it's not it's right. not a practical thing to to i don't think to continually put in the water or you know have around your neck when you're surfing i can't imagine that it's i mean i don't know I, I'm not I agree. A, I'm not a necklace guy. No, so. I agree. If um, bicyclists are shaving their legs for aerodynamics, like surfers should not be wearing a gold chain yeah. or whatever. But I also want to be open to things. And it's like I assess who is the surfer wearing the gold chain. And so far, it's only been surfers who I don't want to emulate. Like yeah. Chris Ward, don't agree with his lifestyle choices. Not going to wear a gold chain because he does. <laughs> like if it was somebody uh, really cool, maybe if, I would. Okay, who? who? Kelly, maybe. If Kelly started, I would have to like really reevaluate. Really? Would you? I think Kelly... I'd still fall on the side of I'm not going to wear one. But I would reevaluate why Kelly's doing it and I would actually analyze it. Is there is there any pro surfer right now today who could put on a gold chain and you think, okay, yeah, that, that, that's a good move. It looks nice. Italo. Some people it just would make sense though. Like if Italo wore a gold chain, you wouldn't think would anything fit. of it. Yeah, it would fit Italo. Yeah, you wouldn't even. I think Mason Ho might wear one. Sure, I'm sure and Mason it, does, and it fits the it fits the Hawaiian kind of, kind of Brada lifestyle. Where I think the you know bred professional surfer from Huntington Beach, i.e. Kanoa, it kind of doesn't fit, or or it's very clear that he's drawing inspiration not from anything natural, but from some other subculture that he's not part of. Does the gold chain, is it like a hat, like a fedora, or uh, where if you own it, and it's all about the um, level of confidence that you wear, wear it Probably. With? It could be. Could be. So maybe that's why, like Mason, it just fits because it's like, oh, yeah. That, Clearly, that guy just, wears a gold chain. Yeah. Yeah. See, question. I'm not. I'm full nah, though, until proven otherwise. Full, yeah, I'm full nah, too. By the way, we should tell listeners about the amazing conversation we had with... Um, Matt Warshaw in Florida, where he was wearing a hat and somebody mentioned it at some point and uh, he got a little sensitive about it. He lost all that bravado and the confidence that I'm suggesting you need to wear a hat with. He lost a little bit of it, so he's wearing it kind of tentatively. And then we went to a store and we were going to check out and he walked away from the register and the woman looked at us and she goes, hey, is that guy with the hat? Are you paying for the guy with the hat too? Yeah, it became, but but it's once once he abandoned full confidence, yeah. then it became like a yeah a silly mark, right? Because he looked totally good. He in looked his fine he in had, it. He, he looked had fine no in reason it. to be shy about it. But hat. the fact that somebody commented on it, and I don't even think the comment was negative, that just put him on his heels already. But then when the complete stranger checking us out at the store mentioned it it was all gone it was like all confidence was shot but that's the thing too is i feel that uh the stranger at the store would not have mentioned his hat had matt not been pushed on his heels initially right like because when you own something it becomes such a part of your thing that people don't even notice that i mean i think if you wear a fedora with massive confidence 
people won't say, oh, look at that dude in the fedora. They'll, right. they'll just, they won't even notice your fedora. That's right. just you. Exactly. Matt, so poor Matt. <sighs> Good old Warsha. Um, all right, Barrel or Not, you've been traveling a bit lately. Bare feet on airplanes. So nah. Really? The not as nah. Yeah. What do, you, do you wear full shoes? Or I wear, wear full sandals? shoes. I wear shoes and socks. And usually I don't even wear socks in life. But yeah, I, I am a full shoe. Taking your stinky feet out and foisting them upon the world. I will say it is a barrel uh, if you're flying to or from Hawaii and you are Hawaiian and or to or from uh, Tahiti and are Tahitian. Like there's certain people who just are barefoot or in flaps no matter what and good you know they can do whatever like their feet i feel are not gross appendages whereas the white man or white woman um is gross keep them in are sandals okay sandals are okay but uh can't kick them off you can't kick them off you just leave them on um i mean and by okay i mean i would never ever 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 do it uh no not for white people i'm gonna backtrack white see, people shouldn't I, I do it uh, because, number one, it's more comfortable. And then when you're going through security and whatever, it's easier to take on and off. Um, and usually the places that I'm traveling to are surf destinations where it's hot. and You're going to want to be in sandals once you land. But um, I agree with you in theory. Yeah, it's gross. Like I don't like seeing other people's bare feet. Yep. Uh, I, I have noticed, though, that people have an aversion to feet, which I don't share. I don't, I don't either, but I just think that... It's just an inappropriate place unless you are, uh, and I'll, I guess I'll hedge a little bit too. If you're one of the kind of white dudes who's always in sandals yeah. or whatever, right? Like that's just your thing. And I think it's the, it's like the kind of pale feet that never see the sun. Those are the gross ones. And especially those are the gross ones to see on an airplane. Well, that's the other thing is there are different versions of feet. Yep. I have nice feet. Yep. I don't think anybody would be offended by my feet. Yeah. But the problem that I have on the airplanes is when... They kick the sandals off and then they put their feet on surfaces that your hands might be on. That's disgusting. On armrests, kicking them through the seat. That is where it's like way, way, way yep. over the top. Keep your shoes on. Needs to be re- remedied too immediately. Yeah. Like if you see that happen, hey. it is your responsibility as a fellow traveler to tell that person. Get your shoes on. Shame them. Yeah. Absolutely shame them. Tell them to get their shoes on because uh, we can't let this go on to where it becomes commonplace. Nope. And it's almost already there. Totally. All right. Barrel or not? Ghosts. Ghosts? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you feel about? Are, do you believe in them? Are you afraid of that? Like, where do? You, where? What's your take on supernatural? Good question. Thank I, you. Uh, no, I don't. I. I mean, not that I don't believe. I guess I would be a ghost skeptic. I'm agnostic to ghosts, uh, but I'm not scared of them. You're not scared of them. Not scared. Okay. Probably, I'm on the fence if they exist or not. Have like, you had any encounters? When I was a kid, uh, a little kid. Um, up in Coos Bay, Oregon, I thought that there was a ghost who lived, my, lived in my room named Toby, who was a giant black lab. Um, and I was really convinced that Toby existed, but that was my only experience with a ghost is this giant black lab named Toby. Why? I don't know. I was just, was there a story of a dog that died in the house before you guys moved in or something? Who knows? Yeah. My childhood brain, but yeah, no, I haven't experienced anything supernatural in that way. Um, since Toby, are you titillated by it? Yeah, I mean, like if if there's like a ghost hunter episode or something on, and I, you know, I'll, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm titillated. I'm I am interested. Too. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, have you Not, ever seen a ghost? No, I've never seen a ghost, but I've had a couple of experiences that were unexplainable. Yeah, that make me um, curious. Mm. 
but I don't have a definitive stance on it either. Yeah. It feels a little bit silly and childish to even be open to the idea of it. But, but I don't know how you would be either entirely closed or entirely right, open, right? Exactly. Like either side, if you're 100% convinced ghosts don't exist, then come on, like, how do you know? Yeah. Uh, if you're 100% convinced they exist, unless you've had like a personal experience, you know, that you are dead convinced. Those are the only people that I would say, okay, great. You're, if you had something that you totally ascribe to a ghost, then you can have 100% belief in ghosts. And I've had those, I've had encounters with people like that who seem to be very rational people who I respect their opinion and judgment and everything. And they are confounded by something supernatural. So I have to take that into consideration too. But I've had a few things, but I'll tell you one story. I um, was living in my mom's house alone for like two years because my grandparents were sick. And so my mom moved in with them to like take care of them and took my two younger brothers with her. So I lived in her three bedroom home by myself and their bedrooms were left intact because they would come home occasionally. But I came home late one night, entered the house. Like, you know, I know nobody's there. I'm there by myself every day in and out. But I came home, unlocked the door, closed the front door. It was late at, let's say, 1030 at night. Uh, made my way down the hallway. And my mom's bedroom door and my younger brother's bedroom door were closed. Made my way down the hallway. As I was starting to turn left to go into my bedroom, I could hear children laughing in my brother's room. And I immediately stopped and listened. And sure enough, it was laughing. It wasn't like you hear it faintly, but your feet are shuffling and making noise. And so you stop to listen You're and it's like gone. Dead silent. Stopped for dead silence just to confirm con- continuous laughing from the door is three feet to my right. And I'd listen and I'm like, oh. Immediately, I'm like, son of a bitch. My brothers, apparently my mom came home for the night. My brothers are in there past their bedtime, screwing around. I'm going to go in there and bust them right now. So I make that decision, put my hand, my door on the doorknob, turn it, open the door, boom, dead silence. It was laughing continuously all the way up until I opened the door. And And the light shone in the room. The beds were completely made, and it was dead silence instantaneously. And I was like... Holy crap. Were you scared? Here's the weird thing about it. I am um, not immune to fear. Like I've felt plenty of fear plenty of times. There was this weird calm that came over me that actually made it me feel in hindsight like it was more ghostly because I would be scared. If yeah. I normally heard a no- noise in the house, I would be scared. It was this thing where I opened the door, recognized that I couldn't reconcile what had just happened, and yet there was no threat to me. There was no fear of any threat to me. Almost like, well, that happened and I'm on the side of good or whatever. I haven't done anything like whatever this is, is not threatening me. And I feel okay about it. Wow. It was very, very bizarre. And I felt calm. I went to bed fine. I didn't like cower under my sheets or something. But what's weird about experiencing it that way was as I've heard people talk about ghost encounters, that story will come up repeatedly as a common denominator. As a laugh, children laughing. No, no, no. The feeling, the sense of calm. Oh, wow. The feeling of not being afraid and feeling calmed by it. And that I've always, I catch that and I go, oh my gosh, that's what I experienced too. Very interesting. But I don't know. Hmm. But I want it. I want to have ghost encounters. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could go out and find one. We should. I'm sure a listener has like a some good haunted house it. or something. Well, let's go together. If I a would listener, love it. If a listener has a haunted house, David Lee and I can come and 
We'll do a all night podcast from your house. We'll just, just leave. Goes. Let's just leave the mics on to see if yeah. we capture anything. That's, I'm excited about this too. All right. Well, um, so ghosts, barrel or not? I'm barrel. On barrel. Ghosts. I'm barrel on ghosts. I mean, they're definitely fun stories at the very least. There you go. All right. Barrel or not? The electric acid surfboard test. Oh. <laughs> um, I didn't watch it, uh, but in in theory, I'm barrel. Like, I love. I mean, is the concept that Dane Reynolds rode different like asymmetrical boards and interesting concept boards? I mean, that's the yeah. Alternative short boards, basically. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'll be barrel on it. Like okay. it was a Dane. Was it did Dane direct it? Well, who's, yeah. So Dane, it's Dane's idea. Dane directed it's, it. It's it's actually Ashton's idea. Annie organized and produced the whole thing. Um, did you go to the premiere? I, I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, was it a was it a good premiere? It was good. Yeah. Um, again, we talk about attendance for these things, like for viewership and all that. Exactly. I was surprised at how poorly attended it was. It filled up the space that they had like at what, Pacific two, City. 200 people? Yeah, 200 people, let's yeah. say. Which I just thought, Dane's an A-lister. Stab's a big media and outlet. you're at the U.S. Open with 500,000 people. And you're in Surf City, USA. And you know, and a couple hundred people. I was like, oh, shocking. I thought yeah. it would be nut to butt. Like, you couldn't get room. Like, you'd be standing right next to people. And it wasn't. There was room for everybody. I wonder if that's part of due to both Dane Reynolds' fading star and also Stab's Stab's dip in viewership. Could be. So it just like Stab doesn't have the reach anymore and Dane doesn't have the star power anymore. So you get 200 people. Yeah. But conceptually, when I I read about it, I really liked the idea. I really liked the idea of putting a pro or ex-pro onto, you know, a variety of boards. And I And I almost wish that... Stab would do that as a uh, stab in the dark thing, right? Where, where that's kind of what it was. Yeah, where it's yeah. all all odd boards and really see, you know, a pro, you know, take them through their paces. Like which ones actually work and which ones are just straight gimmick. Well, that's precisely what this was. So, yeah. Was a version of stab in the dark. Um, what's funny about it is they didn't tell Dane exactly what the premise was. I guess. Dane, they interviewed Dane the next morning on the U.S. Open. Kaipo did. And Dane, I actually have a quote. So he did this whole movie and he didn't understand what it was? He didn't. He wasn't aware how. I think his quote was, I wasn't aware how alternative the boards were going to be. Okay. So Stab had a concept. They rolled out to him and said, you're going to write alternative boards. And he thought, oh, they intentionally. Yes. They intentionally didn't show him the boards in advance. They were all in bags. He didn't get to see the boards until they landed in Mexico. And the only requirement that he gave them was no finless boards yep. and nothing over, I think, seven feet was okay. the other one. No long boards, I think it was what okay. he said. So they fit within that criteria, but he said on that U.S. Open interview, I did not know how alternative the boards were going to be. And he also said something to the effect of, like, they kind of tricked me. Yeah. Um, and you could tell he wasn't psyched on how it ended up. Well, I wonder. Oh, oh really? I yeah. wonder if, if they because that's the thing, right? Like Dane, if he's putting his his skill on the line, that's as, the thing. You know, he wants to look as good as he can look surfing, right? And right. so if he feels uncomfortable on what they're bringing, that's pretty rude. Now that I think about it, of of stab pulling one a fast one on him, where you make him look le- less comfortable than he wants to look, and then you make a film out of it like that's not and, very cool and so dane edited the footage dane directed the film and even still there's a lot of waves in there that he looks bad on like yeah. and my take on that was first of all i think that you should include the waves that you're unsuccessful on if it's a true board test i want to see a lot of your waves not just the ones that you surf well on um 
But I also think that Dane was trying to rip on boards that you can't rip on. Yeah. There's certain styles of boards, these hold designs, for example, this one Ryan Lovelace board where it's like, it's not meant to, to blast through fast. the lip. Yeah. You're supposed to find trim and you're supposed to um, do like long drawn out carves. And he's trying to like do these really radical maneuvers and the board is inhibiting his ability to a degree, but he's also not finding new places on the wave that the board can go that his thruster can never go. Fascin know? Fascinating. So that's that was my take on it. And then once he, I, I feel like um, when, I tr when I've ridden alternative boards, and it might just be a long board, I have my most successful experiences when I don't try to impose my will yep. on the board. Good design, whether it's in surfboards, skis, or anything really, aerodynamics, good design trumps everything and you need to kind of get out of the way of good design. And then once that is doing its thing, you can then step on the gas a little bit or feather the brakes a little bit, but you need to let the design find its way first in the wave surface. And I don't feel like Dane was, and who am I to even judge Dane surfing, you know, but that's my impression as the viewer was like, whoa, dude, you're writing that board entirely wrong. This is the, this is the best part of this podcast right here. I, oh. I feel I feel both enlightened and yeah intrigued by the whole thing now. I'm well, going to go back and watch it. it they haven't viewed. Uh, oh, I thought it was online. They haven't published it okay. online yet, I don't okay. think. Um, they're doing like a tour with it that I okay. think they want to hold out. But once Dane got on shortboard, like proper... Um, rippable boards like the mayhem fish and like what what board did you think he ripped or looked best on actually believe it or not the album asymmetrical board yeah the board that he picked as um being one that he would actually want to explore more on was a ryan birch okay short uh asymmetrical board um it's future it's similar to what he rides in a lot of ways but obviously it's different in a lot of ways but the album i thought like he was surfing the fastest the most critically doing what he wanted to do they also had um a neck beard redo okay. like that channel islands yep. square tail board neck beard 2.0 i guess that he looked great on okay but again he's such a talented surfer and he wants to surf how he wants to surf and those boards allowed him to do that yeah you know? i i thought that it might have been a better um they could have done better by having a more open-minded surfer. Yep. I mean, I would imagine like a Rob Machado uh, That'd would be, be a fantastic fit because Rob Machado also surfs different ways. He like does. I've never seen Dane surf uh, any other way than Dane surfs, right? right. He's, he surfs like Dane, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen Rob, you know, be solely, Rob be barely, Rob be you know, right. critically shred. So I've seen, um, there's a guy out of Australia, Nat Young's son, actually Bryce Young, who surfs amazingly. And I would, I would love to see on those boards, mm -hmm. you know, like I think he could ride those boards to their potential. Um, but it also highlighted something else, which was Noah Dean's at it. Did you yeah, see that? I, I haven't Vulcan seen that thing? yet either. I was it, gone, but it's phenomenal. Yeah. I've, I've heard wonderful things about it. Yeah. Just pedal to the metal. Like, gigantic airs, yep. big barrels, radical surfing, I'm ex I'm excited. high speed. I'm excited to queue it up. I think it's on Beach Grit. And I, I it is. Missed it. Yeah, I'm I, excited to go in. And 
I felt the way that um, I used to feel when Dane Reynolds would drop an edit on Marine Lake. Yeah. Back in the, it was like that radical. I mean, I think Noah, for whatever kind of bad rap he got there for a minute, for, I mean, I don't even know if he ever got a bad rap. It seems like people were down on him for a second just for the fingernail polish and the, yeah. you know, smoking and drinking or whatever. But he, Noah is a surfer that excites me. Totally. Um, and he also doesn't, he's not overexposed either. Yeah, no. You know, he doesn't drop a ton of edits. Um, do you want to make a guess on what his um, salary is? I think Volcom? I think it was huge. I think wasn't it like one point two or something? Oh, I heard five hundred k. Okay, that would be that would make a lot more sense. But I I mean, all rumor. But I had heard that Volcom went and cleaned house in order to pay him right. his full full pop, which I assumed I guess was more. But five hundred would make a lot of sense. Well, he was on Rusty before, and yep. they cut everybody. I would be shocked if they were paying him one point. No. Whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, and in his, this, by the way, this information came through the rumor account. I have a rumor where you could send anonymous emails if you want um, on surfsplendorpodcast.com contact. But it came through, and uh, apparently in his contract, it states that he, quote, must maintain a party lifestyle. And really? Quote, yeah. That is awesome. That's awesome to have in your contract. So, whatever um, backlash he did get for the painted nails, I think. It's part of his contract. Yeah. Oh. Again, engage the controversy, you know, like contractually obliged. No, no, no. Dean, I think is going to come out and have, I mean, I'm excited to see his film, but I feel that the future is bright for no Dean. I do too. But that's, that's the point I was going to make is Dane got overshadowed, even though that electric surfboard test wasn't available online yet. I feel like the whole thing got overshadowed because Noah Dean just blew doors on it. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. It's true. That came out at the same time. It did. Sorry. Sorry, Dane. All right, Chaz, beachgrid.com. Where can we find you on Instagram nowadays? Well, I'm a surf journalist right now, but it's really a, yeah, it's mostly, I'll tell you what it is. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. It's a place for people to reach out to me who don't want to email. Like that's, that's what I more or less use it for is just DM me. You use it for posting nudity too. I do that a lot. Yeah, I try. I get, it gets taken down. I mean, it's still my, my rage at Instagram is so deep seated and severe that I like to, that's why I post three at once, why I post nudity, etc. Is uh, Have you made any progress on recovering reports still, from hell? Still working. Still, I mean, it's crazy. Instagram just throws you to the ambulance chasing wolves uh, where you're supposed to reconcile it with them. And so they're all like the, the wolves like, oh, yeah, give us, you know, 10 grand. And so like it's it's wild. It's like completely corrupt. Wow. And yeah, I, I'm going to go after Instagram properly one of these days. Like wow. do a real expose. Well, I got to. DM last night at 4.18 yesterday afternoon, and it says, has Chaz lost his mind on his IG account? Mm, yeah. And I said he sure has. And he yeah. goes, WTF, we miss reports from hell. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but well, I, can't, I can't just go and redo it. That's the thing. I mean, once something's done, it's done. You're yeah. on to the next thing. Well, I appreciate the new stuff. Thanks. Seeing, Thanks seeing Orlando bloom and all yeah. his glory. I, what I can't believe is, you know, my following now is tiny, obviously. Um, that stuff gets reported quicker than stuff did on reports from hell. So I don't know who's following me, who's also reporting. Like, I, I think they have AI now that can okay. identify the shape of a penis. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. Because the stuff, like, yeah, it's, goes it goes wildly fast. Like, I'll post it, and it'll be gone within five minutes. Where reports from hell days, I would post some nudity, and it would stay up there for a good 18, 19 hours right. before I came down. Right. Well, any nudity that they take down on Instagram, you can find at beachgrit.com because you've also posted that image there. Did you like the, the sandcastle building picture too? I was a little aroused by it. It was nice. It was sexy. Yeah, sexy yeah. sandcastle. I didn't read the article. Was it about sexy sandcastles? No, it was just about uh, 
Yeah, you, you go read the article. Okay, That's sorry. Kind of a funny one. I've been I've been busy. No, I get it. it okay, about, it was about yeah, surfing is just this pure joy thing, right? And the ziffs are stomping stomping around trying to destroy it. So what else could they stomp around and try to destroy? Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Chaz. It's been a great episode. Great to reconnect with you. Fantastic. All right. Until until next time. Excited for two weeks. Get Barrow.